Welcome to Bickering Peaks, the only podcast you're listening to right now at this moment with exactly zero fucking chads in it. Are you a chad? confirm that? Are you a chad? Am I a chad? Uh, I feel like everyone has a little chad in them. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe, but yeah. No, no active chads. No one one named chad. No No. active chads? There's no active chads. No hanging chads? (laughs) 2001 called. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, this is actually the Deputy Hawk of Twin Peaks Podcasts. We don't know where we're going or how we're going to get there, but we're feeling pretty confident along the way. <laughs> so uh, thank you for joining us. Yes. Once again, we're here to talk about part six, Don't Die. Don't Die. Of The Return of Twin Peaks. Yes. Um, and Lindsay, what did you think of this episode? I think you know what I thought about this episode. Yes, but the listeners do not know Oh, what right. They don't live episode. with us. No? So. Thank God. I was... So <laughs> there's not enough room in this episode. No, it'd be tight. Yeah. yeah. And the cats. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, I'm not going to lie. When I first finished watching it, I was a little bit upset. I was a little angry, a little frustrated. Yes, I remember. <laughs> um, but I realized pretty quickly that it was because of the amount of violence that we saw mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, Aiden, you know, obviously, from having lived with you, yes, 14 years together, that yeah. uh, I have a pretty low threshold for violence on TV. So yeah, seeing Lorraine violently. Yeah. Pretty All gruesomely. to death. Yes. And uh, and then the the vehicular manslaughter, I think is how you described it. Yep. The hit and run. Yeah. Um was gruesome and hard yeah. to hard to take. Yeah. Hard to know how to how to handle that. Uh, I also think it was a little bit because some of the things that I thought I knew from previous episodes, previous parts, were dashed. Like things, oh, I yeah, thought yeah. I thought I had ideas. We had theories then, as with every episode. We yeah. come in and we're like, "Oh, maybe this is this." And if you follow us on Twitter, we speculate quite a lot. Yeah. We talk with people and develop new theories every week, and then they're hopelessly dashed every week. Yeah, and it was awesome. and it was frustrating because new things come up, and then you're like, "Well, where does this fit in? And how does this work?" And and it just felt a little overwhelming. But I got over that very quickly, and we watched the second. We we waited about an hour and a half, and then picked it up again watched it a second time and by the second time I was able to appreciate it a lot more and I really liked it I really liked this episode yes yeah what did you think I liked it it was my favorite episode so far I think yeah yes I I love that all it feels like there's real momentum now even with the Dougie yes uh, scenes there's still something going on with Dougie Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting to watch it's just it's there's nothing happening, but it still feels like it's moving. Yeah, but there's a certain way in which nothing's happening. That That's very, you know, obviously Lynch does this a lot, but it, I don't know. There, there's a certain feel to the to the nothingness of the Dougie storyline that that is just brooding and sitting there. And it's and it's, it feels like it's going to bubble up at any moment. And we got more of that bubbling under the surface, I feel like, this episode. So uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved all the other storylines. Um, I thought they were beautifully shot. I think they moved things forward. Uh, it's bringing more Twin Peaks back all the time, which is great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just it was it was a fun one to watch, which is you know some of the other. I mean, yes, there was violence, which was really gruesome in a lot of cases, but it was uh, still enjoyable. So. So then there are the the obvious themes of don't die that come out in this episode, right? You got the the episode title or the episode description, however you want to look at it. 
And that is instantly subverted with two on-screen deaths, four total deaths. I think only four. Yeah, as far as I can remember. Um, and the promise, I think, of, of more violence to come. So uh, that's something we'll, we'll get into, I think, in, in our larger recap. But anyway, you want to dive in? Yes, Should let's do that. Should we get started? Let's do it. So we, we start off right where we left off in the last episode uh, with Dougie standing in front of that cowboy statue and the security guard coming over. Um, the wind swept by Johnny Jewell is still playing. I was, it really made me, I don't know if it made you feel this way too, Aiden, but I kind of want to see this without the intro mm-hmm. and outro. No, credits. I want to I watch an 18 hour yeah. cut of this eventually. You yeah, know, like I'm wondering see. if that'll ever. Yeah. If Showtime will ever do that, or yeah, if they if, do a DVD release or a Blu-ray or something, yeah, if you it'd be can watch it without the credits, I don't, I don't know if they would yeah, do that. I don't, I don't know, know if they if can, can do yeah, that. Yeah, fit but, eighteen hours on the one. Yeah. I mean, like six-hour chunks, because this one really felt like this episode and the previous part five were. They felt like another two-hour connected piece. Yeah, similar to how one and two and three and four right. kind of connected in those those ways. This one really, and the fact that it picks up right where we left off, really, literally, yeah, yeah, literally connected that very well. I thought that was just really, really beautiful, uh, really beautiful moment. But what is Dougie doing? So he's playing with his sleeve or something, right? And I wondered what that... um, It's his left sleeve. So it kind of made me remember Dougie with his left arm going numb and maybe Mm. his left hand shrinking down in the the red room. We don't really know what he's doing with it, but he's very focused on his sleeve. Yeah, I couldn't tell if maybe he was just cold. He's been Maybe, all yeah, because he had something. his hand pulled into the sleeve yeah. too, right? So it was odd. Um, but then, yeah, the security guard tells him he has to leave and tries to get information out of him about where he where he lives, and all Dougie can say is home, mm-hmm. which again, just like tugging on your heartstrings every time you see this character. Yes, and th- this the security guard finally starts asking the real questions <laughs> that we've all been kind of harping on, like how is nobody helping Dougie? Yeah. He does. He's like, have you been drinking? Are you on any medications or anything? Um, and I'm like, yes, finally someone's going to help yeah. him. And, and again, this is this is interesting because we have talked about this last episode and people have been talking about it online, is that all these people are helping Dougie get through life. And it's in a world that's pretty cutthroat. You know, the world mm-hmm. of Twin Peaks and David Lynch films generally are not nice places to live. Right. But here's another just kind soul who fi- stumbles across this. Honestly, Dougie, to me at this point, feels more like a dementia patient almost. Sure. Like he's well, really- he reminded me a lot of, um, again, Rain Man. Dustin Hoffman's yes. portrayal of Rain Man. Yeah. Uh, in the movie Rain Man. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, like a dementia patient, or or like a very small child who just doesn't understand yeah. how to relate to the world yeah, yet. It's true, but I mean, he has yeah. stronger verbal Absolutely. skills. Or but yeah, sure. but yeah, it is odd. And so this this uh, security guard, you know, just kind of accepts him for what he is and, yeah. and offers to help, and mm-hmm. he takes him home to Janie E. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's just like, oh yeah, I forgot about your car, and yeah. she's asking about his ID and everything. And Janie's like, no, 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 that's my husband, and brings him in. Um, Dougie's fascinated by the security the badge. guard's badge. And I, that was another thing that just made me think of a child. Like, this is how a security guard would treat a child who's fascinated mm. with the, the sheriff's badge. Obviously, it has... Um, or not sheriff's badge. But I think that's what maybe is oh, being yeah. triggered in yeah. Cooper's mind. Yeah. Is that this is... You know, he's remembering yeah. being deputized, maybe. Or remembering Sheriff Truman or his life previous to this. Yeah. Uh, and so the other interesting thing is as the sheriff or security guard, whoever this is, is dropping him off, uh, he says that 
uh, Dougie seems a little disoriented. Yes. And she says, that's on the best of days. Yeah. So again, you get kind of get that impression that we've been talking about that this is not a totally new state for Dougie. Or right. It's just an enhanced version. Yeah. De-enhanced? De-enhanced? <laughs> version of his usual self. Um, she also mentions like, uh, after the security guard says, oh, he, he really likes my badge. Yeah. And she says, he likes... And then she kind of fumbles a little bit and she doesn't say anything. She's right. like, oh, just come in, Dougie. And I want to know what the hell she was talking about. Like, yeah. I want to know if... I want to know... I want more clues and, and insights into Dougie's character before Cooper mm. inhabited his body. And, mm-hmm. um, we're getting little snippets and it's interesting. Um, but yeah, it's it's still a bit of a mystery. So... The other mystery that comes up is this unmarked envelope that's on their front doorstep. So the the security guard hands it to Janie E. as they're leaving, and Janie E. and Dougie walk into the house, and she says she'll fix him a sandwich. Again, another night of Dougie eating sandwiches that his wife has fixed. Why always sandwiches? Yeah, it's easy. It's easy, or is it like uh, just a... I don't know. It feels like a... Um, like a character trope. Like, that's what the housewife does, is she fixes sandwiches. You yeah. know? Like, it just felt like... Yeah. Just interesting to note. And then as they're eating the sandwich, there's a couple cute... It's, a an, again, a really well-shot scene. There's mm-hmm. this yellow lamp, and they're eating on yellow-ish plates. Yeah. Uh, and they have... Even the sound design of the Biting crunch, into the sandwich. Yeah, it's like the crunchiest sandwich. It's like layers of lettuce that they're biting into. Like the stuff. freshest lettuce. Yeah, in the world. And it's just... It's... Yeah, it's, it's very noticeable. You're just like, wow, that is a crunchy sandwich. It's... Genius. But there's no difference between the, the sound of the crunchiness of the sandwich and the chips that Dougie's eating. Yeah. Like, it's weird. And yeah. they're Miss Vicky's chips. They're, like, the crunchiest chips. Yeah. It's just odd. Well, it's just, yeah, you know, was that for a reason? Like, yeah. Just a, yeah. In any case, uh, Janie sends Dougie upstairs to say goodnight to uh-uh. First of all, she says she's going to take him to see the doctor tomorrow. That's this true. Is, this is the first time, really, that, that Janie takes interest in, in what's actually going on. So... She says she'll take him on his lunch hour the next day to have a good look at you. And I thought, I don't know, I, I think this is the point when we turned on the subtitles in the second watch. Because the first time I watched it through, it sounded like, like Dougie repeats what she says back to her. But it sounded like he said, who cut you? And I thought it changed the whole dynamic. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> she's not cut. What's going on? But it was just, it was just the way mm. that he says it is interesting. So it's not quite. He didn't mimic her tone. He mimicked her words, but yeah. with a different inflection. Um, almost like he was learning about sentence yeah. structure or something yeah. like that. I don't know. And then Janie sends him upstairs to say goodnight to Sunny Jim, and Dougie can't figure out. He walks past the stairs the first time, and then gets to the stairs and. Doesn't really seem to know how to go up. But yeah, they go upstairs and I'm, I'm presuming that Dougie goes to the bathroom. We hear some clinking around. It sounds like glasses yeah, or something. We don't know what he's doing. But he walks right past Sunny Jim's room. But we do get a shot of Sunny Jim and he's reading a book. Mm-hmm. And the book, uh, credit to Lauren Galloway on Twitter, one of our Twitter friends who picked up really quickly that this was The Secret of the Old Mill which is a Hardy Boys book mm-hmm. um, that Sunny Jim is reading. And, and interestingly enough, it's about a counterfeit money ring in a small town with a lumber mill, uh, which just seemed like this is important. This is obviously not just a random book that was chosen. But anyway, Sunny Jim is, is reading this book. Maybe it makes more sense than the real mill plot in Twin Peaks. Maybe we still don't know what the hell that was. <laughs> but anyways. Uh, he's, he is reading this book, and then um, he watches his dad kind of walk past the room and then walk the other way, and then he... Uh, Cooper kind of turns and comes back into the room and sits on the edge of Sunny Jim's bed. But um, again, Sunny Jim pats on the bed and 
Yeah, there's more Dougie mimicry. Than, yeah, the, yeah. The, Dougie just can't handle stuff. And it, that the initial shot when he's walking back and forth mm. again, it felt a little bit like the waiter in uh, season two, episode one. He's kind oh, of yeah, like okay. he's framed again in that similar sure. kind of way. And again, he's he's not all there, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like the waiter. Um, but here we do find out that Cindy Jim is not a mute. No, he does, he talk. does talk. And what's his first line that he says? Mm, I don't remember. <laughs> what is it? Uh, Dougie offers him a chip from the bag, and Sunny Jim says, I already brushed my teeth. And that seems like a direct callback. The first line that Sunny Jim says is is a very deliberate, feels like a very deliberate callback to the last, one of the last lines that Cooper says in season two, which is, I need to brush my teeth. Yeah. Um, and then there's a funny little back Exchange, and forth yeah. with the clapper the light. The clapper light, which is great. I could have watched that. Yeah, it was all it was, night. It was it's hilarious. almost like Dougie. In, in all of these scenes that he's in, especially when he's with Sonny Jim, but in other moments too, like he, he, he's almost like pure id, you know? He's just experiencing pure emotions and emotional states. He's always happy, or when he, when he is happy, he's totally happy. When he's scared, he's totally scared. When he's, you know, like it's... it's yeah, it reminded me of Cooper's joy of, of little yeah. discoveries like, ah, oh, these great trees, you know? Right. They may not have had clappers in 1989. <laughs> I don't know, but when he went into the Black Lodge, presumably, he'd never heard of this thing. So when he comes back, it's like, oh my God, this works. Plus, it's electricity, which is always right, of something course. he's now familiar with as a Black Lodge. But it's like resident. totally unbridled, and mm-hmm. it's and there's no filter on it. Yeah. And it's it's very antisocial in that way that there's like, people don't walk around with their emotions on their face as clearly as. In these moments. Because most of the other times that we see Dougie, he's just flat, right? So it is quite joyful to see him having fun with his with his kids. It's true. And to have Sonny Jim being like, Dad, yeah. stop it. Like, it's sweet. They have a it's little a, joke back and forth. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a sweet it's scene. Yeah. Totally broken by Jamie. Yes, opening up the envelope and then calling him down to break loose hell on him, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Is the way to describe it. Because um, what's in the envelope? It is a picture of Dougie and Jade. Uh-huh. Uh, and a, a note on the back saying you're late or something like that. Misspelled or, your. I'm going to... Yeah. Oh, you noticed that. Yeah, okay. I did. Did you notice that too? <laughs> no, but... Oh, it's... I didn't it's, notice until someone online said uh, it was. Um, but yeah, so... And of course, Dougie, you know, he sees someone he knows. <gasps> Jade. Yeah, with the big <laughs> smile on his face He's too. He's so happy. Um, and... There are a few moments of cinematic perfection that exist in the world, but Jade gives two rides, uh-huh. uh, repeated in this context, uh-huh. to his wife. Jade give two rides. I bet she did. That yes. Is, yeah, because it's brilliant. It's just so brilliant. Um, what, what's the reason that this envelope was left for them? So it's just a, just another blackmail saying that uh, Dougie owes these guys, these these bookies, $50,000. Right. Um, and they And we get this followed up right away because as uh, Janie is er, inquiring interrogating yes that's the word I was looking for (laughs) interrogating Dougie uh, a phone call arrives yeah and she answers it and it is the bookies and they're they're, you know saying hey did you get our our letter and everything and then from there she takes over Mm -hmm. and so but she makes arrangements to to get the the money to them the next day at a park at the corner of Guinevere and Merlin, mm-hmm. which um, the, the Arthurian stuff, stuff yep, just, just keeps, keeps coming. coming. <laughs> High five. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So Dougie's dropped the ball mm-hmm. on calling. Obviously, he's not in the right mental state to do this. Nope. Uh, so Janie has to take over. It's like the tie, I, I feel like, in the, the previous episode where oh, yeah. 
she asked Dougie to do something. He doesn't. He doesn't do it. She, she has to in, do it, right? Does it, yeah. So Dougie goes and he is drawn in after. So uh, Janie kisses him on the top of the head and yeah. he looks around for an angel as as yeah. you would expect. He's lost. Oh, that's again. kind of sweet that you thought that that was. <laughs> I, he just right. seems so baffled by yeah, it. I never thought it, that he was looking for an angel. Pleasant. He's like, what happened? Where did that magical Aww. thing come from? It's actually uh, kind of sweet. And then he's drawn into his Lucky 7 yes, files. right. And he starts pulling them uh, closer and, and pulling them open, presumably. And we get then a cut to the Sparkwood and 21 traffic light, or right. a traffic light, yeah. the, the famous uh, traffic light in... Yeah. Uh, Twin Peaks. But we go to the Red Room. Yes, we do go to the Red Room. So Uh, We follow Mike around, and it seems like he's always kind of searching with his hand is outreached, and it's like he's feeling his way through. Aimlessly. Um, Aimlessly. But he does eventually find, and I feel like maybe that's just how the Red Room works, is that you got to reach around. Oh, there's the portal to access Dougie (laughs) and slash Cooper. Sure, that's one way of looking at it. I like that. And Cooper looks over from his files, and uh, Mike appears. And what does Mike say to him? He says... You... We notice that he says, wake up twice and don't die three times. I'm not sure what Why? that means. But I think it's important. He has a because way too much. No, because we've seen that a lot where Bob's name is repeated three times. Albert's name was repeated three times. Cooper's name has been repeated three times. Don't die is repeated three times. It feels like three times is the amount of times that you need to say something for it to sink in. Because as he says this, Cooper kind of like the scene fades away and and Cooper goes back to his files. We hear the, the song Windswept Again pick up and he starts to go through these files and we think there's nothing he can possibly know about insurance that he could do anything well, he can't, with these files. He doesn't even know what insurance is. Exactly. Like, he's, he's completely incapable. But there's these sparkles that show up. I have no other word for yeah, them. Yeah, they are. They look like sparkles. And yeah. they literally show him what to do. Yeah. It's, it shows a sign or a sparkle appears next to a box. He just starts coloring there. Where or the a sparkle, sparkle goes from the top of the page to the bottom of the page so he draws a line down the page. and. Yeah. And he starts moving through these these documents, making marks wherever the sparkle tells him to. And he also draws ladders yes. and what look like stairs. Yeah. Um, which we have no idea really what that means. There's lots of theories out there, but... Yeah, definitely lots of theories. We have no idea what any of that means at this point. But all we know from this scene is that something, Mike, some force from the lodges, the Red Room, is alerting him to what appears to be insurance fraud being committed by... Uh, Tony, yeah. who's played by Tom Sizemore, um, uh, and that's all we know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so related to that, and th- this was one of the scenes where I felt like the Dougie plot was was actually moving forward. I was interested in finding out what was going on with the insurance fraud, yeah, and how he was going to prove it. And these sparkles show up, and you're like, oh yes, another helping hand. Yeah, um, basically the most thrilling three minutes of paperwork I've ever seen, right? right? Isn't it amazing? Like, you're just, like, riveted. You're like, what is he drawing? Oh, my God. A ladder. What does that mean? Why Why is he drawing lines? Why are, why are all these big scribbles? And, you know, theoretically, they might not mean anything. And especially at this point in the episode, we're like, oh, man, he's he's not going to... It's not going to go well the next day. Um, but we know in the we past... We just want to watch more, though, don't we? 
Well, we, I want to know what happens with yeah, these files now. It's, it is more interesting. And uh, we see some more names that we might see in the future. Detective Loomis and Stockton, I think, yeah. were two of the ones who were on some of the adjuster John, plans or Jake Cavallo oh, okay. was one. Uh, and, and it begs the question then, do we know why why Dougie was given these case files? What was the reason that, that Bushnell entrusted him with yeah, this? We don't know was he story. just going to be a second set of eyes to, you know, yeah, we still cross know the what, T's and dot like, the I's? Yeah, we don't know what he does. We have no idea what he does. Yeah. So, so we're good. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But you're right. Absolutely. This was riveting television. I really felt like... And that no, and, sounds yeah. absolutely insane, but I was completely glued to the TV yeah. when this was uh, After we wa- we finished, we're like, wow. Let's watch it again. Yeah, no, it's just like crazy, <laughs> awesome pace paperwork. Dougie, way to go. Um, so then we go to... The first place not in Las Vegas, mm. and we follow Albert. And yes, we don't know we do. exactly where he is. It feels like maybe Philadelphia. He's traveling to... I got to, Seattle vibes, but that yeah, might just be because it's rainy it and really there was a rainy. Starbucks in the background. I've heard people think it was New York because yeah. it's very urban, but yeah. the streets look a little wide for, you know, an ur- yeah, but anyways. Either way, he's in an urban center and he's yeah. talking to Gordon on the phone in his car Gordon is enjoying a glass of Bordeaux somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yes. Albert is very jealous, apparently, of being able to have a night off. But he is going to what looks like uh, just a random dark street corner. He walks up an, an alleyway or up into a doorway to Max Vaughn's bar, I but think first, it's called. he has the greatest line Oh, of the yes, episode. of course. Fuck Gene Kelly, you motherfucker. Which is just hilarious. Absolutely Albert, Albert being able to finally say fuck is just so rewarding Twice. to me. Oh my god. I, I loved it. Uh, so he does arrive at Max Vaughn's. Yeah. Um, and it feels a bit like a hole-in-the-wall kind of pub. Like, it's it's nice. It's kind of classy, but it's it's cramped. It's it's narrow. It's it's a traditional kind of It feels like feel. like yeah. the like the North American, how North Americans view English pubs. Yes. This is how we do English pubs. Yeah, That's what it kind felt like. Of, Dark yeah. wood. You know the green yeah. lines. Like it felt, it felt but, like, but very like chic at the same time. Like it's not like super gritty or anything. No. Like that. Yeah, but yeah, no, for sure. Uh, anyways, he arrives, he stalks around, and who does he find? The, the biggest reveal of this episode. He finds Diane. The most anticlimactic reveal. Oh honestly. yeah, we all everybody knew, knew Laura that Laura Dern would be playing Diane. Yeah. Um, but she looks stunning. She is wearing what looks like a beautiful Asian-inspired. Top at least, dress, yeah. Dress maybe. Yeah. Her nails are painted all different colors. She's wearing these colorful bangles. Um, she's wearing this incredible platinum white blonde hair. Yeah, wig. It's yeah, a wig. Yeah. It's, it's not. A, it's it's got to be a wig. I'm hoping it's a wig. I'm hoping that I hope every they don't time try we and see pass her, that off. Yeah. No, I, but I'm really hoping that every time we see her, it's a different color or a different style. I think that would be brilliant. We'll yeah. see if that holds out. That's my one theory. I'm sticking my my flag in this week. Diane is going to have different colored hair every week. <laughs> Um, but it's it's true. She's very. It's a very colorful getup that she's in. She is a blast of color in this kind of dark, uh, mm-hmm. dingy kind of environment. And, and and she is like, what does Cooper say in the autobiography that she's a cross between a saint and a cabaret singer? Yeah, she's yeah. a little bit more cabaret singer than saint. Well, but we don't know in much visual, about her. But yeah, we yeah. don't know. We don't know how she. She has yet. two lines. Hello, Albert. Yeah. And uh, well, and she's smoking, which she is, is so. I mean, yeah, it feels like maybe a little bit more cabaret yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there too for sure. But she's smoking in a bar again. Probably in flagrant violation of many health codes. I'm sure. Just like Richard Warren. But I'm guessing that uh, Diane gets away with a lot of stuff. Yes, yes, I would imagine. Um, I'm going to say I'm a little disappointed. Yes, you and others have... 
and and I, I'm not not disappointed that it's Laura Dern. I'm not disappointed that uh, I think I, I'm hopeful that Diane will have really cool stuff to do. I'm sure she will. But I, it was this neat little conceit that that Diane maybe didn't exist at all mm-hmm. that I really liked. Yep. And and I feel like anytime you're going to depict a character of that kind of mythic status, anytime you put them we see a depiction of them on screen, they lose something. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how that's going to play out in the rest of the series. Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested in finding out the rest, more about yes. Diane, just like seeing her on screen and seeing yeah. her behave. And what is she going to have to say about Dapper Cooper? Cooper and, and, yeah. and how is she going to, why is she the one that they want to go to to figure this out? Well, what kind of relationship? Knows her. Well, obviously, but yeah. what kind of things are they going to be looking for? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about that. Yes. So I'm, I'm definitely... I'm totally on board with it, but that moment was a little bit a letdown because we knew obviously who it was going to be, and just because I never wanted to see her on screen. Well, and last week we'd had a brief theory that perhaps uh, Audrey Horn, sure. after giving birth to uh, Doppelkoop's son, and mm. Richard would have spent many years searching after Cooper, and therefore could have been the one that that uh, Albert and Gordon were going to ask to investigate. Yeah. Our, our double coop. Um, so that was that. Da- that was dashed as well. One of our many theories to be dashed. Uh, Better get used to it, hun. Yeah, it's every every week. Like I said, it's yep. great. So we go to Twin Peaks, presumably. Yeah, I think so. It's okay. So the logging industry still exists because we get this yeah. establishing shot of like this huge sea of logs. Yeah. Uh, just I don't know. A I guess field being, of getting logs ready getting ready to be processed. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. And then they're in some kind of industrial warehouse setting. With a Corvette, uh, yeah, a, I didn't notice that, Corvette, but yes, yeah, all right, yeah. a black Corvette instead of a red Corvette, yeah. and uh, Richard Horn, who has just ingested some of this drug. When we get the apparently. sound as as yes. we go across the the Corvette over through the room past the the uh, muscle, mm-hmm. I would say of of this week's uh, gangster figure. Um, yeah, we get Richard snorting and sniffing yeah. and just really taking in the drugs. And then we get a shot of him just whoo, really, you know, getting yep. invigorated. He likes it. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, and who but else is there? It, this other character played by Balthazar Getty, who um, we saw in the, the roadhouse in at the end of part two, I believe, yeah. uh, making finger guns at Shelley. Yeah. Uh, he, his character's name is Red, and he is the one who is presumably the the back or well not the backer the guy who has all the drugs yeah, that are being funneled yeah. into yeah. Uh, from Canada he says yeah. he he tells Richard that he can pick the rest up at Marianne's and Marianne must be a character a person who lives in town because Richard knows who it is but doesn't know that Richard or that red Richard know, yeah. Richard knows who it is but he doesn't know that red knows who it is so red is obviously not a townie whereas Richard is and um, and then we get a, a little weird back and forth between Red and Richard, where Red does some martial arts stuff and talks about his hands. Well, I, this is like a super Lynch totally. scene. Totally, this was this was something right out of Mulholland Drive, uh, the the diner scene. Yep. where you're talking about this dream that you had and yeah. it's surreal, and then you go around and the surreal becomes real. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what this felt like. It has the buildup of you know, it's like a. Do you ever think about your hand? Or have you ever looked at your hand really yeah. well or something? And then he just drops it. Yeah. They talk about the king and I. He says, yeah. Red says, I liked, I said I liked it, but he didn't say he liked it. Yeah. He just, he says it after the fact that he said he liked it. Yeah, That's to how move through a conversation it. in that way does not feel. It's so surreal. At all. Yeah, it, very it, surreal. And again, 
if we're viewing this from Richard's point of view, it could just be because he snorted this drug. Yeah, and, and, and he's, he's so tripping high balls. That, yeah. yeah, he's not really seeing what's actually happening. Right. Which is a possible reading, but, you know, I doubt it because this is Lynch. Um, so then you go to the hand eventually. Eventually you wind up at the thing that was mentioned completely ad hoc yeah. earlier. And he does a, a coin trick. Yeah. Um, he shows the coin on his palm, flicks it in the air, and then it's spinning in the air nonstop. Richard and Red look at each other. And They're looking up, too. At the, they look at up the at it. They look at back at each other. Coin. And then it stops spinning. And it's making this the spinning mm-hmm. sound that we've expected as uh, TV and movie watchers to expect as something's spinning Especially in the air. Especially a coin. But it continues at that high frequency as, as it's spinning, which is completely surreal. Mm-hmm. And then it appears all of a sudden in Richard's, Richard's mouth. mouth. And he pulls it out. And then... All of a sudden, it's back in Red's hand. It drops into Red's hand, and it's not in Richard's hand. So it's like this this very destabilizing moment where you're wondering, is this all because Richard is high? Is this an effect of the drugs he's just taken? Or are we dealing with another magician character? Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think it's as cut and dry as to say that he is just high. I think there's some element of something else going on here. Well, because the way he... uh Right before this, I kind of bypassed the story, but he does threaten Richard. He yes. says, you know, I'll cut off your head and Yeah, no, he says, I'll saw your head open and eat your brains. Very different, Aiden. Very different. <laughs> Very different. I'm sorry. <laughs> totally bastardized. Um, and then, yeah, and then he does this this trick. So it, it's it's an obvious power play. Like, the, oh, whatever, yeah. even if it is just drugs, he did something to scare Richard and intimidate well, and, him, Well, right? and, and before any of this even started, you bypassed this too, he calls him kid oh, twice, yes. and, Richard, and Richard takes really. offense to that. So it's well, definitely a power play in that. It, yeah, exactly. And I, I, it was interesting that you, at the start of the episode, you talked about how um, we had one idea of Richard, and then it yes. kind of gets subverted. To me, this is always, you know, this is any alpha male. Oh. As soon as there's a bigger alpha, yeah. he becomes an omega baby. Exactly. <laughs> like, he really doesn't know what to do, and he's he's kind of turned into that kid again. Um, he, and then he hates himself, and he hates yeah. everybody else for it later. Yeah. But, you know, it, to me, it wasn't it wasn't a change of character. Like, you, when we first watched it, you're like, I feel like this is a Richard from, like, earlier, like, months earlier. That, sure. You know, Hasn't grown into confidence. his evil yet. Yeah, but I'm like, no, he's just evil. He's just not as good at it as well, the and other that's, guys. But that's, that's, what I, that's what I was getting at, is that is that in a lot of other shows, they don't have 18 hours to explore these different facets of a character. Mm-hmm. You have maybe 12 episodes in a season, or you have an hour and a half of a movie. So what you see is what you get, mm-hmm. right? It's not You're not going to see two sides. You're not going to see Richard Horn be super confident as he threatens to rape a girl in a bar, and then in the next scene have him be you know, completely demoralized by the the new alpha in the room and then have to explore that dynamic of how he fits into the world. That's just not something that you're going to see unless you're watching an 18-hour film, right? Yeah. Like, so it's just unique in that way. That's all I was getting at. Yeah, no, yeah. And you're right. We did agree, for sure. But uh, the yeah. other thing that happens at the end is that when he flips the coin, he it lands in his hand, uh, tails up, and... Or heads up. Heads up, I think. He says, heads I win, tails you lose, which yeah. is just, you know, it's it's it really feels like Richard is being put in an impossible position. I don't give a shit about that. Like, no, I think I he deserves kinda it. I hope he does but, that. But, yeah. <laughs> in the meantime, yeah, you get the sense that he's he's being cornered. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. This is not someone you want to do business with. Reminds yeah. us a little bit of Duncan Todd in, in Las Vegas. Yes, the absolutely, The guy who, yes. you don't want to get messed up with these people, yeah. but... 
And it's interesting because we still don't know. Well, we'll get there in a, in a few minutes. Um, but just to make a mention, we do get another coin later on. Yes, and, we do. And heads is very important yes, there we as do. well. So just just to keep that in mind. Uh, so then we get Richard fleeing, yes. basically in in a huge flatbed truck. Yeah, with two boxes. Two in the back boxes or something. In the back. Yeah, it, it makes no sense. Um, but and he's still. So this is my question for you, Lindsay. Is he still just super high at this point, or is he? Also emotionally, oh, I think it's both. Distraught. It is I both. think it's both. I honestly think he's the, the effect of the drugs. Obviously, are they're having an effect on him, but his anger is pushing him to act even more recklessly than he, than he would have if it had just been the drugs. Yeah. So he's totally having a freak out, and uh, you just know that. Yes. Yeah, some, something, something bad is going to happen. happen. Yeah. And um, the the shape of that bad takes a while to form, but it does. But it start starts with, here yes. in the new Fat Trout Trailer Park, yeah. which is not the old Fat Trout Trailer Park in Deer Meadow, but a Fat Trout Trailer Park that exists somewhere within the city limits of Twin Peaks well, or the town, probably limits. outside the city limits, but of very Twin close. Peaks, but yeah. yeah, it's close enough that uh, Carl Rod, mm-hmm. our, one of our favorite characters from Firewalk with Me. Uh, makes his first appearance and it's him getting a ride into town. He yeah. gets, it looks like a van, just a buddy maybe or, or maybe some low-cost Uber-type service <laughs> uh, picks him up every day and takes him into town. Yeah. This time he's joined by his friend Mickey yep. um, who wants to come to town to pick up the mail for... Linda. Linda. So we have a Richard. We have a Linda now. Are these the Richard and Linda that... Uh... Probably not because there was so many Mikes, so many Bobs. There's got to yeah. be more than one Richard, more than one Linda probably too. Could be. Um, but it is worth noting. Um, and He's so, picking yeah. up her mail is what, yes. what he needs to do. So he asked Carl if he can go with him to town. Carl says, sure. They go in and drive into town, talk about mortality, which again just casts a pall over this whole, this whole scene in the next, maybe next 10 minutes of the show because... You're dealing with well. Eventually, we deal with with a, the first major death that we see on screen. But it starts off with Carl lamenting the fact, or not lamenting, but kind of celebrating, I guess, the fact that he's been smoking every day for seventy five years, and he's not dead yet. Mickey's yeah. just quit. So it's uh, it's it's really a great moment of seeing Harry Dean Stanton, who is ninety years old, yeah. um, be totally old on yeah. screen and totally fine with it and it's that, awesome exactly and that's something i was wondering how big of a role that would play in right. the return because it is 26 ish years later mm-hmm. um that's a career like that's yeah. that's a long time and some of these actors were already fairly old um many of them have passed away yeah i mean there's been so many deaths of major actors and characters in this series that yeah it's it was interesting i, I assumed it would be more of a a thematic touch point throughout the right. series and so far it hasn't been this episode have, yes, definitely absolutely because we see carl um he, he talks a little bit about his own mortality and how he's just waiting for the hammer to come down and then we see him sitting on a park bench um we get our first shot of like wind rustling through the trees but we get it from a totally new vantage point it's it's carl sitting on the bench looking up through the trees instead of seeing them at a distance from level i i yes view, and it's also right? sunny and nice outside yeah. and yes it's and not, they're and they're deciduous trees mostly yeah what, what look like i don't know poplars or something like that um and he's watching a little kid and his mom play in the park, and and they're playing this like chase and catch up game that I don't really know. No, but it, it, I love I it's love that great. game because it's so simple. Yeah. It's it's such a simple game. You get the premise so quickly, yeah. and you can see where it's going to go wrong so blatantly. Mm-hmm. But it, it's just it's a great little film filmmaking, uh, I guess, 
shortcut, I guess, is really yeah. what it is. Because you build up this thing. The mom's so happy, and the kids laughing and enjoying themselves, and Carl starts smiling because he's just watching this this pure joy happening yeah. in front of him, and it's it's just immediately touching. And, the, and then before yeah. before we yeah, get so, to yeah. that, we skipped over a, a one kind of kind of a critical scene. I, I think would it say. is. Yeah. We go to the double R and we meet the character named Miriam, who is a school teacher, mm-hmm. and Heidi talking about pies and cupcakes yeah. and how there's always a pie and a cupcake with Miriam's name on it and she just loves enormous pies and because they're the best because yeah. they're the best and Shelly says you're our best customer <laughs> and Miriam leaves them a big tip which yeah, she, so she can't pays afford. for the pies and the and the coffees she takes coffee for her and for and, one of the moms at school yeah uh, and yeah and then Shelly and and Heidi. Heidi just say yes well she can't leave this we should treat her next time yeah. she comes in. just another cute little moment at the double R that probably happens every day I'm sure but it also um, it's 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 foreshadowing in a sense because um, Miriam being a school teacher it feels like this must be early-ish in the school year because Heidi asked her how school is going mm-hmm. and she says oh the kids this year are so cute and then we we get the next scene that happens where um we're back out. Well, we, we well, get an intercut Richard, with yeah. the, the truck with Richard yelling about this magic motherfucker. I'll show you fucking kid. And and you just know after seeing this mother and son playing in the park yeah. and, and then Richard, Richard on, <laughs> the, on the highway. Although initially I thought maybe something was going to happen to Carl. I think yeah. what ends up happening with the little boy running out into traffic and getting hit by Richard's truck is so much more devastating because... It's a child dying. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we thought last week in part five with the 119 the, boy. Yeah. We thought he would be blown up. And we were going to see a little child get blown to bits on TV and it didn't happen. So fr- we, we felt kind of coddled, relatively safe, knowing that, oh, no, David Lynch and Mark Frost are not going to go there. And then they do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's like I've been saying all day, it was telegraphed to us from a country mile mm-hmm. away. We knew something bad was going to happen. It still hurt. It still hurt so bad. And I mean, the extra added horrific touch of like the tire tracks on the boy's body. Oh, yeah. It I was just, that. it's like a, just, 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 just a touch yeah. over the line. Well, this whole scene is really interesting, not mm-hmm. just for what happened mm-hmm. um, and how that was filmed. Like, it was brutal. You see the, truck basically run the kid over yeah. it's really fast so obviously and cgi'd obviously so you know yeah. you, you see enough though that you're like oh my god that that really just happened we just yeah. watched it but then it's the reaction so the, so there's basically three sets of reactions there's the mother yes who basically repeats uh i'd say the the way grief and sadness and death is handled in the original twin peaks yeah which is earnest a little bit over the top not really even in her case it's it's basically it's it's very genuine kind of reaction wailing and yeah, crying and, cra- and, and grasping him yeah and just, I, I think like, I saw it described in Rolling Stone I think it was Rolling Stone magazine as a pieta it's like the Madonna mm-hmm. and child Madonna yes. holding the baby did, well yeah, not baby case, Jesus baby, yeah. but the yeah. but the you know yeah. but grown Jesus yeah. after he's after been pulled he's been off been the cross yeah. so but here we've got this this body and she it, the way that she's holding it too is not she's not cradling him in her arms no. she's just like grabbed him off the road face first, first onto her right chest his chest. legs are on still on the road yeah. behind him yeah. it's very visceral it's yes. it, it had a it very powerful and hard to yeah and the actress watch. i don't remember who it was i think i anyway i saw a lot of kudos going out to yes, her on twitter brilliant it was it was really really well done but then there's the alternative reaction which is the bystanders right and they have an almost like you you describe mickey 
the the actor who, who was playing Mickey is is almost like a like a local theater yeah, actor, yeah. like a, like a really a, a solid actor, but he had that kind of theatrical kind of flair to well, like how stage actor or exactly. something like that. Yeah, um, and these ones feel like small town extras yeah. who are being asked to do far beyond, like do emoting far beyond what they're sure. what they're probably you know gonna do. And I feel like it's entirely intentional. They might actually be great actors, not bashing anyone or anything, but uh, here they have it's it's almost like a it, it's yeah it's it's kind of like an amateur expression of grief i okay. don't know if that's really the fair way to describe it but it is it is grief that's not um overwrought yeah it's, it's an underreaction yeah almost but at the same time uh the way the camera's lingering on them they're, they're always in groups and, and couples and they have like these kind of like very hand over the mouth yeah and it's like these like big overdone them. gestures sure. yeah it's nobody takes out a cell phone to call the cops though yeah exactly yeah nobody yeah. makes a move to comfort the mother they're all or just chase watching. richard or anything sure. take down a license plate any of that stuff it feels like this is it maybe that's how like i've never seen a car accident like this i've never been in a in a situation like this maybe that is what well i, I feel like with a, the bystander effect or something like yeah, that yeah, 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 expect yeah. somebody else to step in yeah but and but I feel like it's it's their reaction is is kind of like um, it's it's a bad version of of the original grief of Twin Peaks. I feel like this whole scene is setting up that a death in yes. Twin Peaks is still just as heartbreaking oh, twenty five years later. Like um, not not in the same way that we we feel connected to this boy who died the same way no, we did with Laura. No, but but we still get that communal yes. impact of yes. the death. And I feel like they're downplaying and amateur playing is what I'm calling it, uh, is there to highlight the, the mother's the grief. grief. It's, it's, mother. it's drawing a contrast between the two of them. Um, I think it was Joel Bacco in a post a couple weeks ago wrote about how uh, the two teens and, well, they're not teenagers probably, but the two people in New York, uh, Tracy and Sam. Sam, how their kind of acting was kind yeah. of a little overdone. Yeah. And, um, it draws attention to when the good acting appears. Right. Uh, and I feel like that's the same effect that we're getting here is that the the bystanders are overacting or underacting or in any case Well, they're noticeable. blending into the background in a way that allows the mother and the child and eventually Carl, Carl. to step in and become the central figures. Yeah. Because Carl does rush out into traffic and... Well, not into traffic. Car, traffic stopped, obviously. Yeah. Um, but he's the one who comes out and kind of helps shoulder the burden of what this mother is going through and the rolling stone article i read today and also the article that eileen wrote for 25 years later both mentioned this idea of bearing witness and how david lynch has always asked us to bear witness to tragedy and to bear witness to horror and and i think that's also kind of what's happening here is that all these people are bearing witness but there's only one person who Mm -hmm. actually bears that weight and Mm -hmm. that's carl yeah. Of all people, well, the guy and, who looks like he can't handle that yeah, is the can, one yeah. who steps out and yeah. does it. And so Carl's interesting because uh, beyond that, I think that is hugely important. I think it's I think it's a big character moment for him and potentially a sign of something that's coming. Right. Um, but Carl also sees the boy's spirit leave, presumably. Yes, yeah. And it's a it's a golden kind of yellowy mist. Yeah. People online were saying green. Yeah, I, I thought it looked green to me, but really? I think, I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm just colorblind, but but I well, I'm makes, the colorblind one, <laughs> so I would assume that you were right. But, but it makes more sense for it to be yellow because we've seen yellow gold mm-hmm. colors come into play a lot more. I think that makes way more sense. Exactly, and and it rises up into the electrical right. poles, and then presumably it's off to a lodge where sure. the boy's spirit will be planted. And we hear that electrical sound too, <laughs> yes. do we not? Yes, so, uh, very slightly. Yeah. Um, 
but this is interesting because if you haven't read the secret history of twin peaks carl's a minor character there but it's intimated that he and margaret when they were children and a third character i I can't remember but the two of them that we've met uh they were alien abductees or something happened in the forest uh, outside Twin Peaks, where they went missing for a day and a half or something like that, yeah. and they showed up. They had no memory. They had, you know, mm-hmm. Margaret had the the, the tattoo, tattoo on her, her the back. back of her knee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Carl had one too that we never see, and and yeah, and ever since then, Carl said, "I, I don't want to go anywhere. I've yeah, already gone I've already places. gone places." So Carl's kind of stuck around since then, right? Um, so here, I mean, just like, and it reminded me instantly of, right, yep. of of Dougie, and you know, he's been in the Red Room, he's been in these lodges. And he now has these access to these supernatural Gifts, things, perhaps. Perhaps so does Carl. And perhaps that will some way connect with Cooper's Absolutely. story at some point, right? Um, so it's worth mentioning if, if you haven't read it again. The other thing that I wanted to bring up that um, a lot of people were talking about online last night when we were watching the episode, uh, this is the same intersection where Mike confronts Leland and Laura in Fire Walk With Me. Mm-hmm. And the scenes play out almost identically in the sense that there's a, a traffic jam, somebody is trying to cross the street, and cars are stopped for them, and there's an impatient driver in a truck who can't wait for traffic to start moving again. In Fire Walk With Me, Mike barrels around the traffic and comes up the right way on the road in order to, to lambaste Leland about stealing the Garmbosia. Um, in this scene, we have Richard, what, what he ends up doing is instead of waiting his turn at the light, he just goes in the opposite lane, traffic coming the opposite direction, and and then that's when he hits the little boy. But I thought that was interesting uh, just because of the parallel. I, I don't think it's, it's an accident that this happens at the same intersection, that lodge spirits are involved in both, or mm-hmm. that there's some kind of lodge element happening in both. And I think it really does, in my mind, reassert that or reaffirm maybe that Richard is connected somehow to something supernatural going on. Yeah, some in sort this of large world. thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because he's Doppelkoop's kid. Definitely. That's my theory. I'm sticking with it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so we get that DNA testing. <laughs> Uh, and we also do get uh, a quick shot after Carl's kind of kneeled, knelt down and, and and looked and talked, like emotionally connected with the mother, that we get a, co- a shot of the number six telephone pole. Right. And we don't know if this is back in the old Trout trailer park <laughs> or <laughs> the, the new, new one. <laughs> the new Trout. Uh, we don't really know. It's, just, it's, it's the same cut. pole and it has the same number six and then the same arrangement of numbers underneath it that... Uh, but it, it, again, the way it's kind of makes it feel like it's nearby, but we don't really know. Yeah, it's, no yeah. idea where it is, where any of this is is taking place. Because that's the other thing: the secret history of Twin Peaks relocates Twin Peaks from the northeast corner of the state to the northwest corner of the state. Um, Deer Meadow was supposed to be in the southwest corner of the state. That's where Carl Rod had his Fat Trout Trailer Park. Um, or now we've got maybe hints that this is not. The, I mean, obviously, Carl Rod has moved. Has he moved back to Twin Peaks? Is he still in Deer Meadow? And he yeah. drove all the way up to Twin Peaks from... It's from, not clear. It's not clear at all. And I think it's meant to be not clear. Yeah. So we're not deliberately going to try and map this out, but it's just something to notice. Mm-hmm. The next scene we do get, we're for sure, that's set in Las Vegas, though. Yes. We get this nice establishing shot of Fremont Street from above. Yeah. And uh, and then zoom right in on Duncan Todd's office during the day. Very one of those very bright, hazy Las Vegas days. Yeah, 
And yeah, if you don't remember, Duncan Todd was the guy who uh, said you can have to give her the contract and give her the job. Give her the job, yeah. and uh, you don't want a guy like this in my life. And yeah. we didn't know who he was talking about. We still don't even after this scene because all that happens is a red square <laughs> appears on his computer screen. He sighs, hits it, hits a button, and it the goes away. The red screen goes away. And then he knows to instantly go into his safe, mm-hmm. uh, where he removes with a Kleenex or a something, tissue. a tissue of some sort, uh, an envelope. With so a black dot on with it. With a black dot on it. Puts it down on the table. Kind of looks at it a little bit, then yeah. goes back to working at the computer. Yeah, and he's, he's a little... He's a little perturbed by it. He's nervous. He's nervous about this black dotted envelope. And again, Lynch is amazing because how can that something like that be scary? Well, it It is is scary. It is terrifying. And my mind instantly went to uh, the black dot. Well, it was a a black ant-like figure that uh, Doppelcoop had shown. uh, What's her name? Daria. Daria. On the the playing card. On the playing card. Yeah. No, it's a black dot. I feel like there might be some weird connection there, but we don't really know. But that's it. That's the scene. Staying in Las Vegas, we go to Rancho Rosa and we get the investigation into the explosion of Dougie's car in the driveway of the rental or the empty house that he and Jade were in. And the cops are looking at the car. They found the license plate on top of the roof of the 119 family's house. And then we get a shot inside the house of the mother, the drugged out mother, saying 119 again. And, and she once again has a single pill in yeah. the vial. She's basically in the exact same position as she was presumably two days earlier or so. But is that not... Yeah. Like maybe what we saw earlier is this scene. Yeah. It makes me want to go back and listen to it again because in this scene I, I heard the footsteps of the CSI investigator on the roof of the house as yeah. they were pulling the the uh, license, plate, license plate and the piece of the car that it was attached to yeah. off of the, the roof. So... Is that now more evidence that time is is kind of we're seeing things out of time, or is she some sort of wizard, or is she stuck in a time loop <laughs> yeah, herself? Like that's yeah. another thing that, yeah. that you brought up, Aiden. So. Yeah. So again, just worth noting at this point. Who knows? We do see some ladders in this scene. I just wanted to bring that yeah. up, just because Dougie was drawing ladders, and here we have ladders being used to get on the roof of the house. Don't know if that's necessary. Putting it out there to you, fine folks, so you can chew on it if you want. Yep. And uh, they do get the license plate yeah. number, and then they load the car up. And yeah. That's kind of the end of the scene. So we then go to uh, a motel. It, it's actually in L.A. Many yeah, dedicated was, people have already yeah. found, <laughs> done the research to find that this is a, a, a motel located in the greater Los Angeles area, I would say. Doesn't mean that this that this couldn't have been set in L.A. L.A. and Las Vegas are not that far apart. It's a, it's a few it's hours like, it drive. It feels like, but, yeah, yeah. But I do think that this, this must be a, a character who is in Las Vegas because he... He's the guy who is called on to take well, out this hit. He on, receives, yeah, he yes. receives the white envelope. Um, he doesn't have any compunction about touching it. He nope. grabs it. Um, Opens it up. up. Well, first of all, he's he's rolling dice and writing down the results. Yeah. Which is just weird. <laughs> uh, so then, yeah, when he gets the envelope, pulls out the pictures, it's a picture of... Lorraine. Lorraine, uh, which is the lady who... Called Argentina in the last episode yes, on and her who was talking to ass her, Blackberry. Yes, and who was talking to uh, the... The hitman. The hitman who she presumably hired to kill Dougie. Yeah. Um, and he also pulls out a picture of Dougie yeah. with Dougie's insurance card. Yeah. Uh, his business card on it. So, and then he stabs these pictures. Yeah. And it's great. That he's got like a little theme song, this guy. Yeah. And it's like a hip hop, yeah. modern hip hop song that yeah. is used to great effect in this episode. Yes. I think it was introduced in the previous, in oh, part five. I think so. Okay. I saw somebody else make a reference to that. I don't remember it playing very often, but it might have been in the scene with Lorraine at the beginning. Oh, possibly, yes. Um, 
so yeah. yeah, and it's playing throughout the entire scene as he stabs them with this well, this leather them, this yeah. leather working tool called an awl that he people have been calling it a nice pick. I called it a nice Me pick, too. but I was corrected. Um, so this is for for leather working. Yeah, and the music dies as after he stabbed them, and then he kind of leans back, and it's, again, it's just an interesting shot of him in the mirror. Yeah, and there's some French fries and like a leftover meal and a bottle of ketchup. It's just yeah, yeah, it's it's lovely to watch again. So we go to follow Dougie. He is at, he arrives at work. He's wearing um, his black suit. He's wearing his black suit. A little bit more of Cooper coming mm-hmm. back every minute. Yeah. They're uh, on an elevator. Yeah. Dougie has his coffee with his name on it. He's loving every minute of it. Phil leaves the elevator and Dougie just stays in the elevator drinking his coffee. And I love that, again, the doors open and close three times. And every time they open again, his smile is a little bit bigger. He's just reveling in yeah. this experience, this yeah. joy yeah. of doors that automatically open, maybe. Well, or this box that brings him yeah. up and down between the fact that floors. Phil's like, come on, what are you doing? And he's like, no, I'm going to stay in yeah. here. Like, you know, like, like a toddler a kid, would. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then when he gets caught in the doors. <laughs> it buzzes and he's like, He oh, freaks out a little bit and then he's like, okay, I'm going to go. Yeah. It's great. It's just a great comedic moment. Huge props to Kyle McLaughlin for yeah, being able again. to pull this off. If yeah. he does not get nominated for every award, <laughs> it'll be just as much of a tragedy. Mm. Well, no, I still think Cheryl Lee should have won an Oscar. They should give her a, a you know. You were going to say posthumous, weren't you? I absolutely was going to say posthumous. <laughs> That's not the word that I wanted. Though. Yeah, I hope she's alive when they give her this award. <laughs> but she uh, should get an award yes, for. A retcon yeah. of yeah the awards that year, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Dougie follows Phil in. Uh, and his boss calls him right yeah. away. So he calls yeah, him Jones. He calls him like, Jones, and Dougie's like, looking around like, what? Who is I, I'm Dougie Jones. <laughs> I'm not just Jones. Like, yeah. Uh, and then he, he eventually calls him in as Dougie, yeah. and Phil kind of shoves him in. And who's watching is Tony. Yes. Uh, and again, instantly you're like, oh, he's he's up to something. I mean, mm-hmm. we know he was lying because Cooper's never wrong. Yep. And we also know that, therefore, he was doing the insurance scam of some sort. Right. Um, but I think the next scene is where we kind of get some familiarity right. with what that actually might entail. So we follow him in, uh, and Bushnell, yep. his boss, um, it starts going through the paperwork. And he's just pissed about all these scribbles. He yeah, can't yeah. make heads or tails yeah. of it. Um, and then Cooper, though, says, make sense of it. Yeah. And again, it's it's one of those great lines that, yeah, that could have been the title as well for this yeah. episode, right? Like, make sense of it. Yeah. You know, it's an instruction to us as viewers, <laughs> as well as his boss. Um and then he says, uh, uh, Bushnell does, sorry. He says what we've all, again, been thinking, like, you need some good professional right. <laughs> doggy. Um, but then he does this great Lynch thing, which is he continues going through every, every single, single case paper. file. I mean, that's not, a, that's not a normal reaction at all you would have. Um, but he does it. And that gives uh, Cooper slash Dougie time to look up at the poster, see Bushnell as a young man. As a boxer. As a boxer. And Cooper, like, puts up his dukes a little bit. Yeah. And, and I don't know where that's going, but it's it's. Well, it makes me think that every other time that Cooper has done something, it's been a direct result of somebody doing something to him. He mimics what somebody does to him. This seems, I think it may be the very first time that he mimics. Well, no, he did it with the. He did it with the with the statue. statue I guess that as well. is true. Yeah. But but he's he's mimicking something that is not an action being done to him, yeah. um, which is interesting. It's almost like again he's learning mm-hmm. how to 
not just react to what people are doing, but to proact maybe yeah, in a yeah. way. I would. Oh, I want to see Dougie watch television. I would. That would, that be, would really be great. Cool. I want to see what he, what Lynch would have him watch. Yeah. Anyways, anyway, yeah. Bushnell is going through these files and and he starts making connections, and you can tell just from at first he's very rough with the papers but then he starts to soften up with his approach and he starts looking at the papers a little bit longer and he sees and where the marks are yes. and how they match up and he basically figures it all out for exactly. us um, as far as we can tell he confirms that yes Tony's been scamming the insurance company yeah. um, and he's had the help of probably the two cops yep. to, who file reports every time um, and they, they so they've been paying out millions potentially when yeah. they, they shouldn't have and obviously Tony's getting a cut of that probably um, and so he said, you've given, Dougie, thank you. You've given me a lot to think about, yes. which is just great. It's, it's awesome because Dougie doesn't have any reaction to this. He doesn't think anything of what he's done. Mm-hmm. He just did what the sparkles told him to mm-hmm. do, really. And, and Bushnell's like, you're going to get to be a part of this. I'll bring you in. Don't say anything about it, which is awesome because Dougie couldn't say anything about it, even if he wanted to. Yeah. Um, and then he moves to shake his hand. And again, Dougie doesn't shake his hand, but he he makes the motion and then turns around to mimic exactly what what bushnell looks like to him right so and and bushnell says you're you're an odd guy guy or something something like that that. i just laughed yeah it's it's still great comedy yeah i mean again it's really infuriating because you hope maybe he's gonna start getting better right but no i think this is the dougie we're gonna have it's gonna be a little while no I, i think we'll get him back eventually but i think it's gonna be it's gonna be a little while and and I'm not entirely... Well, it can't be the same Cooper that drove into town on February 24th, you know? Like, it's yeah. not going to be the happy-go-lucky Cooper that we remember. No. It'll and I'm different. fine with that. But, yeah, it's 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 still... It's hard to see Dougie in this state. But this episode, this part really did um, bump up the interest level for me. Yeah, And no, I think you said the absolutely. same thing. Yep. So. So over yeah. in <laughs> Guinevere and Merlin, the corner of Guinevere and Merlin, we get Janie E. with her red purse... And uh, she meets up with the, the bookies, bookies or yeah, the, the, the muscle for the yeah. bookies who look like they couldn't muscle their way out of a wet paper bag. Well, the one guy does. The one guy, yeah. He's he's famous. I guess he was on Lost or something. And He's been in a couple of things. Okay. I, I, the I, life I of me cannot him, remember yeah. his name, but I recognize him and he's been in tons of different He has uh, a very distinctive films. voice, especially. In, yeah. Face. And, yeah. Yeah. So Anyways, he, uh, he comes over and they explain that... Dougie was betting on football games. He doubled down. He lost. He owes twenty grand, and they've been owing charging interest ever since. It's been three weeks, and now it was fifty-two thousand. Yeah. And Janie's like, "All right, let's get this straight," <laughs> and she lays the law down. Okay, so you get this straight. My husband has a job. He has a wife. He has a child. He does not make enough money to pay back fifty-two thousand for anything. We are not wealthy people. We drive cheap, terrible cars. We are the 99 percenters, and we are shit on enough, and we are certainly not going to be shit on by the likes of you. Nevertheless, lady. So here's what we're going to do. Without my knowledge, my husband came to you for a loan of $20,000. You were nice enough to give it to him, but he should never have been gambling like that. I'm going to pay you back. Now, at my bank, where we make less than 1% interest on what little money we have, People will be turning cartwheels just to get 25% interest on any loan. And that is what I'm generously going to give to you right now. $25,000. That is my first, last, and only offer. And so the turn of Janie E's character is complete because yeah. we get this badass, take no shit, you know, She's voice of the people. She's a stone-cold bitch still. Yes. <laughs> but 
but on our side. Yes, yes. She's it, one of the 99 percenters. That's right. <laughs> it goes both ways. Yeah. Uh, and and it's it's great because here's a woman who, once again, uh, Dougie can't do the work. And again, maybe it is a commentary on, on female and domestic labor. Yeah. But she steps right in and she does the job way better than... Oh. I think even Dougie at his best in probably his would have just world, handed over the fifty two thousand dollars. She hands over twenty five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. They they still have four hundred thousand dollars that he won <laughs> from the casino the yeah. other night. But but she's just like, this is what you're gonna get, and you're bad people, and you should take a look at yourself. <laughs> and Aiden, when this was happening, Aiden was laughing so hard. And what did you say to me? Uh, it's my mom. <laughs> it's totally your mom. Hi, so, Levon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So my mom, uh, one of the first things I ever told Lindsay about her was that my mom stares at drug dealers to try and get them to stop their evil ways. Yeah, she'll cluck her tongue or she'll, well, she'll just stare at them her and head. Like, mm, it's that judgmental Catholic stare of hers that, you know, will instantly change people's lives. And of course, as a as a youth, I was like, mom, you're going to get killed. But maybe uh, maybe she was on to something. Maybe yeah. she would have just, you know, given them a good scolding. Maybe they would have backed yeah, off. Yeah, maybe your mom should go to Vegas and she could be one of those people that... Like, the people who are in trouble with bookies can hire to, you know... <laughs> to talk them down. Is that a thing? I don't think I it's doubt a thing. it. I think my mom definitely would die. If she <laughs> but uh, it was great to watch. Again, it was. This scene was amazing. And again, yeah, it really... It added that dynamic to Janie's character. That, yeah. Um, we, we, it was there. You know, it is consistent yeah. with her character. Oh, absolutely. But we're like, you know, she's just doing this because she's, she's... Frustrated on, with Yeah, Dougie her husband. Or... It's, it's in that domestic sphere. But it's not... This is just how Janie is all the time. I think yeah. she could be an awesome like power broker lawyer. Sure, you know, she absolutely. Should be putting those skills to use. So, anyways, well, was, she is putting uh, them to use. She's yes, saving her husband's that's life. That's true, but I'm saying professionally, she yeah. could, she could do well. She could get paid for it. Yeah, because clearly Dougie. Well, I mean, he does his job. Clearly, he has a job. Yeah. But I'm I'm less worried about Dougie now after seeing what what, what these capable well what Jamie's <laughs> capable but also what the sparkles are doing for him whatever yeah, it's this true. this gift is that he has is is, is not, not going to let him uh, not going to let him down yeah so uh, and of course the scene ends with a great summary from one of the tough guys tough Dame. that's it that was that's just it. a great scene great scene. So back in Lorraine's office, we get... Um, well, we get the start of the music. Yes. Right away, the music is playing. She's on the phone, and she's discussing with someone that there were only three bodies in the car, which indicates to me she maybe she thought that, that Dougie was the one who did blow up the car, even though she was the one who hired those guys, so she would know that they died. I don't know what Well, that okay, was. yeah. So I initially thought she was talking about the her hitmen that had already been sure. killed. Um, did she think no, all five of them had died? No, no. Well, there's only two hitmen. As far as we but know, but three guys. Well, died. three guys. Died. That's oh, what, they were wait, in the those car. Were yes. Okay. That's, wait. <laughs> this is good because I I thought it was her hitman yeah, yeah, who had yeah, died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's talking about the three dead bodies in the car. Yes. Uh, she obviously has an informant in the police who found sure. out about this and gave her the information. Um, and she's like, three bodies, and that's all we really get because then the uh, receptionist the, or something. Yeah, screams. Someone in her office has been killed, Brutally. and in runs uh, the hitman. Yeah. With his. All? The spike. I think the his spike. name is called the spike, and, yeah, and this Ike is his, spike, with yeah. his all, and and he runs into the office and just brutally, brutally murders is, the crap out of yeah, like, Lorraine. Uh, I don't remember. I think it was again Joel Baco or perhaps someone else on Twitter who said this is kind of like an inversion of the assassination scene in Mulholland oh, Drive, yeah. where it starts off kind of tense and serious, and then gets uh, a little funny and awkward at the end. Yeah, this is just serious throughout. Like this is just a brutal, brutal. Uh, 
scene. Yeah. And it's and There's it's visceral. blood everywhere. Oh, he like drives the all into her chest and wor- like works it around as around. it's it's horrific. Like it's that really scary. But at the same time it's not it doesn't I don't feel sympathy is if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't no, feel bad for Lorraine. No, I feel worse for the woman who gets who gets it who's like, yes. standing in the hallway. We don't see hallway, that yeah. happen. Yeah. But we know she's being murdered as well. So we know that three three murders have have taken place. I agree with you. I think Lorraine was a bad person who was mm-hmm. in some bad business and she paid the price just like anybody would. And again, there was a lot of talk online again about, you know, it's really women who have been victims of of brutality and, and, and it's true in Twin Peaks for sure. I mean, yeah. Laura all the way down. Um, it's often women and here it is again, but this is different. This isn't this isn't uh, an innocent bystander who gets well, caught. Well and up even into this. even if it is, I think that um, the charges of misogyny have been misplaced because this is not Lynch is, is he is kind of making a value statement or value judgment on this saying it's it's a bad thing, but he's not he he's just holding up a mirror to society and saying this happens. Yeah. With I mean, obviously not this brutal all the time, but murders happen like this and and this is just a fact of life with with people who work in this line of business. It's just a fact of life that murder happens and bad shit happens and, and a lot of times it's violence that is perpetrated by men on women. It's it's just a fact. Like I I yeah, I'm not I'm not sure where the well, the, no. the more the more disturbing thing that, that um, Eileen brought up in her article is that um, we seem to be more affected by the deaths of children than we do the deaths of adults and really uh, all lives have value and they're we don't we don't treat the the adult deaths with the same level of compassion that we do the deaths of innocence. Even Leland's death, because arguably Leland was a child when he was first taken over. So the death of Leland that we see on screen is not the death of Leland the adult. It's the death of well, Leland the child I in a sense. I think that's fair because people make their decisions and then they have to pay for the consequences. I guess. Where children. You know, his bad decision was playing a game with his mother. You right. Know, and no, trusting absolutely. Her and dying, I'm not. So. Absolutely. But but it, it is it that might be a comment on on we, we haven't even touched on the fact that twice in this episode we we are confronted with um, the fact that there's a war going on and there are soldiers that yeah. are that are coming home from battle. Well, and the Linda was mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Was, she's she's a veteran who lost a leg or both legs and needs a motorized or at least wheelchair. Can't use her legs. Or yeah. Something, yeah. And and then you get this added um, commentary that feels very much like Mark Frost talking about government ineffectu- ineffectiveness. Yeah, ineffectiveness. Ineffectiveness. Yeah, yeah. Which um, it just yeah. So you've got. This world that exists where children are being mown down by cars in the middle of a crosswalk and soldiers are being brought home in bad conditions or with PTSD and bad bookies and and people are being murdered with alls and all of these things exist in the, it's just it's a rotten it's a really really shitty world it's what Janie described it's a it, dark it dark is, time absolutely and, and yeah and these are terrible things that are happening right now and yeah yeah i mean that is the mo- the motif of this episode for yeah, sure is for bad sure. things happening to people yeah. so um yeah so we get more of it here and yeah just i mean yeah this the i get watching that scene like it was like i have no problem with tv violence or yeah. anything like that but this one was like Intense, because usually you cut away after someone, but he's not. He's showing you in the detail and the screaming and the sputtering of blood out of her mouth. It's Again, it does feel a little bit like when Laura dies, except for it has none of that emotional uh, attachment and climax that's accompanied with Laura's death in Firewalk With Me. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to watch. I 
feel like, again, Lynch does violence in his own unique way. I prefer it much over something like Tarantino or, or any other action directors where they shy away from it a little bit or, or fetishize it the way... I feel like Tarantino's fetishizing it and Lynch is not. Um, so then, speaking of brutal murder and death, we cut to Richard, who seems to have just driven off into a field, and you think maybe he forgot that he hit a kid? He does... Re- he, he reacts to the fact that the kid shouldn't have been there or something. He says something to that effect. But when we see him again, he's just parking his car next to another truck in a field. And... But then he gets out of the truck. Yeah, I assume this was Marianne's, but it doesn't seem like Yeah, I'm not sure where where it is, but it's... um, He gets out of the truck and looks at his front bumper to see the damage it's done. And there's blood on the the grill. Yeah. So he goes back into his truck to get a bottle of water and a cloth and and wipes it off. Like that's going to... And literally... Fuck this guy so hard. I I hate him so much. At this point, like, yes, he mowed down a kid, but this is the moment where I'm just like, now you're going to cover it up? Now, I Of course I, he's going to cover it up. But I just, it was like, this was the was moment where, the moment? I don't know, but I was so mad at him in this mm. moment. I was, I was like, just, I couldn't believe how dumb he was. Like, oh yeah, a little oh, bit that of water too, and but a cloth I, and meh. Ah, like, it just, yeah. it just, it just infuriated me. Oh, and we missed a part. Uh, after he ran the kid over, yeah. uh, Miriam saw him. Yes, that's true. They had they, their eyes locked, and, and he well, yeah. saw her. And they so I feel like either Miriam's going to die or she's going to be a, an important witness to yes. what's coming down. The well, and I think it's road. also because she's a school teacher. Maybe this boy who was killed was one of her students. So there's there's going to be some more connections. I instantly that. thought that Richard had been a student of hers at one point. She seems too young. She seems too young. Well, she could be in her thirties, and he's in like twenty. He could have been a student of hers six, seven years ago, for sure. I think she's a teacher of much younger children. Okay, yeah, very much. She described them as cute. As cute. So. I don't think you, you describe your oh, high schoolers as 16, cute. No, yeah, those 16-year-olds are so cute. I don't know what school you went to. I know exactly what school you went to, but the I don't think that happened. 16-year-olds are not cute there. No, don't worry. Well, no, I don't think the teachers would have described them as such either. We go to Twin Peaks. The sheriff's station, Hawk, uh, has gone to the bathroom, washes his hands, and as he pulls out his phone, maybe, or something... His wallet. ...out of his pocket, yeah, uh, knocks out a coin, and it rolls under the bathroom stalls. Yeah. He goes into the bathroom stalls to retrieve it, picks it up, and it is the other coin. It has a... What, what do they call them? It's, an, it's Indian? an Indian head coin. Yeah. I think it's a nickel, an Indian head nickel. So it has, like, an, uh, an Aboriginal uh, face, you know, headdress yeah. and the whole, the whole deal on. Um, and he, at once, he's like, oh, this is it. This is the clue. This is how I'm yeah. going to find what's missing. Um, he looks around a little bit. He sees a Nez Pierce manufacturing label on the door of the bathroom stall. And then he looks around up at the door, and there one of the rivets is missing in the top right corner. Yeah. Um, and he, he opens up, takes a look around, and he's like, yeah, this is it. So he goes to get uh, a ladder, step ladder, yeah. actually, of all things, yeah. um, perhaps connecting back to Dougie, and a crowbar, and pries it open. Um, Chad fucking chads his way into Chad. the room oh, and and st- <laughs> starts chatting his way yeah. through this scene with yeah. uh, with Hawk, you know, saying, "Well, I'll tell the sheriff if you don't." It's like and, you do that, Chad. Uh, Hawk's just like, "Go oh, use the women's bathroom, Chad." <laughs> I really hope Hawk just either punches him or shoots him in the face. <laughs> I think he'll shoot him in thing. the face, but maybe but in the gut. Then that's fine. He'll, he'll get his comeuppance, oh, and it'll be so. from Hawk. I hope so. I really hope so. Um, but he pries the whole the whole piece of this, like the sheet. On the door, off. Yeah, and what does he find? Well, he he, he reaches in, and all I can think is, don't, don't catch yourself. Get, you're, oh, gonna yeah, you're gonna get tetanus. Yeah. I was the exact same. Like, yeah. oh, that's not a good angle. Just pry it open some. Yeah, but he pulls out 
a few, it looks like two pieces of paper. And I grabbed your hand and I was like, oh my God, it's It's Laura's diary. It's the the pages pages from Laura's diary that she wrote on after Annie visited her in Firewalk with me. They have to be. And actually that was confirmed on Twitter this afternoon to some degree. um, Somebody got a screen cap. I think it was the Twin Peaks archive guys who uh, were enhanced. like, well, <laughs> and like enhanced. Looked, uh, yeah. No, Twin Peaks archive said you'll be rewarded, and somebody else went and grabbed the screenshot, um, and a bunch of us went through. We were pouring over it. I think Eileen and I spent a good, probably half an hour enhancing the photo, playing with the contrast. Annie's name is very clearly written on it. There's a few other words that you can make out. You can go to our Twitter and you can find out uh, where we posted that, but. Um, yeah, very interesting that this would be. I love this callback. I really do. Yeah. I don't think it necessarily means that we're going to see a lot of Annie, but I do think that we're going to get, um, obviously, we're going to get some kind of recognition from the sheriff's department or from Hawk at least that this is what happened yeah. to Dale. Yeah. Now, the, the immediate question that we've put this to John, so John will answer this at the end of our episode, but. Who put the pages there? Mm. Uh, how long have they been there? Um, they look kind of yellowed. They've been there maybe. They've been there for 25 years. Yeah. Who knows? Or maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. it's been much sooner. But, Who well, knows? Yeah. So it's fascinating, it and fascinating. I loved this. Yes. I, I thought this was this this was a standout moment. Everybody is talking about Diane's reveal as being the moment, but, but yeah, I think no, I this, felt this was, was the much moment. more. Yeah, yeah, because this, this was, was unexpected. We didn't know no. what the thing would be that would. That was missing. Yeah. And when we discovered it, we were like, yes, this yeah. is awesome. Yeah. More so than Diane. My yeah, mind, I think. Well, and maybe that's just because we, we kind we of figured that up, that's yeah. who it was. But, yeah. yep. So then we continue in the sheriff's, of- sheriff's office. I really have to learn how to talk for a podcast. Uh, and in the back room, um, the sheriff's there with some guys telling about paperwork. Yep. And his wife arrives. Yep. And she's just apoplectic. She's, she's, just she's pissed about her, her dad's car again. Yeah. But this scene. Even as I was watching it, I realized, okay, this is not this is not just an emotional response. There is something actually wrong with her mm-hmm. because it is note for note the exact same as what came before. Yeah. Um, and so right away I was like, oh no, this is this just like Nadine. The first time you watch her, yep. you're like, she's just a a mean wife who's treating her husband poorly and and you know really hammers him all the time. No, this is a woman with serious mental health issues. Yeah. And Doris is that character of the season. Yep. Um, and, it's, and it was really touching because you're like you you kind of like as I was watching I'm like oh I was judging her poorly yes before I you know you feel that guilt and then you realize well that's why he's so calm yes and patient with her exactly. he is actually this patient because he really loves her and he's, yes he's this is how he's he looking wants to after help her. her yeah and it's it's just so touching to to see that transformation made. Um, but then the show kind of holds your hand if, if you didn't pick up on that right yeah. away because uh, then the switchboard operator whose name do we get? Maggie. Maggie. Uh, she, well, Chad is like, just Chad. He's yeah. just chatting. He chads in his chatting voice uh, that he wouldn't take that crap from mm-hmm. from her. And then, uh, what's his name? Maggie? Maggie. Oh my God, we literally I just, just said it. Uh, Lindsay, my brain has no memory. Uh, she says, you know, she wasn't, Doris wasn't always like this. Uh, she, you know, after their son died, you, or did you know that their son committed suicide? And Chad makes fun of the fact that he that he couldn't handle being a soldier, which is the second instance of a soldier being mentioned. Yeah, and then she's like, eh, well, whatever. I like what he said is that it's a free world and I can voice my opinion, which sounds like something that um, we've heard a lot on Twitter from a lot of the, you know, 
during the political discourse that's happening during the the election there's there's a lot of that that goes around i feel like this is that yeah this is my, mark frost injecting uh, a bit of politics yeah and yeah, and, that, and his own maybe soapboxing a little bit here that that yeah you can have your opinion yes it's a free world but you're being an asshole yeah. you're being a chad yeah and don't be chad mm-hmm. right um, because you don't have all the facts and you don't know what's going on, yeah. and and I guess I guess my my opening comment about how this podcast is a hundred percent free of chads is maybe not true because yeah, we both chatted exactly. a little bit. Yes, we did in the in the previous episode mm-hmm. when we talked about Doris because yeah. you're right we did judge her so my unfairly. Comment Your There's comment a was Chad correct. In all of us, mm. there is yes. You can't go without the light and the dark, Lindsay. That's true. Bob Ross would tell you as much. <laughs> Uh, so then we go to the Bang Bang Bar, uh, yep. the Roadhouse, and Sharon Van Etten plays us out. Yep. And you were like, I hope this isn't Hallelujah. It like, did sound <laughs> like the opening chords to Hallelujah. I don't know. So, uh, we have asked John three questions once again uh, about this part. Hopefully he will give us three answers. Yes, uh, well he has. I can <laughs> confirm you with that. Fantastic. Um, so we ask, what's the deal with Red? Is he a magician? Yeah. And uh, John replied with, Red may very well be a magician, but it's hard to tell as he seems more on the chaotic side. Mm. I've heard the thing where he might be the Tremont grandson all grown up, which is something we had uh, heard but didn't talk about. Yeah. Um, but John doesn't buy it. If anything, he's a similar spirit in class, but not identity. I think he is mixed up in things. I just can't figure out if he's in the family, the mafia way, or if he's more of a Wyndham Earl jumping in the deep, jumping in the deep end through sheer overconfidence and power hunger. Um, and I love that analysis because I feel like how Balthazar, Balthazar Getty played this role, this episode, is exactly what we could have gotten yes. with Wyndham Earl if if uh, David Lynch had been directing those episodes. Yeah. And just think of how awesome that would okay. be. Like, if Wyndham Earl's doing coin tricks and telling you to look at his hand and then smacking him with his foot or something. You know, whatever it is. Threatening to saw your head open and eat your brains. Yes, you know, to Leo and But But not characters. in a onesie yeah. playing a flute. Yeah. Exactly. Be amazing. Like It would be I, terrifying because Red terif- is he's terrifying. He's terrifying. He hasn't done anything. No, but he's super scary. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's quite good. Yeah. I, I think that far less than because John did finish off by asking which we thought was yeah, more yeah. likely and and I do think that that Windermere angle is is more likely that he yes. is probably somebody who if he is a magician if this isn't all in Richard's head that he is chasing the same thing that Windermere was chasing I do think that that's that's more likely See, than I, I kind of the alternative. took it as both yeah, I feel I felt like he was already a spirit actually oh like, really like a Tremond a magician who's yeah. come from the spirit world. And then has produced, just like Doppelkoop, a criminal empire huh. to channel and perhaps harvest Garmambosia, perhaps. We don't know. But, I mean, he's selling drugs to kids so they die in schoolhouses. So, What does I mean, that say about Shelley, who was making eyes at him at the bar? Oh, yeah. The I'm other, worried about Shelley. That's yeah. what that says. Yeah. Ooh. 
Once again, well, she's he, getting in bed. Maybe Ron not does. metaphoric. Maybe metaphorically, not literally. Well, but probably literally. Maybe eventually. literally. But Who I knows? Mean, yeah, he uh, he said, I, "I like this town." When yeah. he was describing it earlier. Yeah. So Red's Red's going to be one to watch for yeah. sure. Second question was, who was behind the hit on Lorraine and Dougie, and who's behind that entire Vegas subplot? Uh, John answers that figuring out who's behind the hit doesn't matter to me as much as how Cooper will get out of it. But the best theory I've heard is that Jeffries is the culprit because he's trying to kill the whole Bob slash Cooper line in possibly some kind of power grab. It's either him or it's Dear Meadow Radio's Mark Givens' favorite theory that Wyndham Earl is the billionaire and this is part of his power grab. So once again, we get Wyndham Earl brought back. Mm-hmm. I did listen to um, uh, Mark Givens' his theory on this. I'm not 100% convinced. Sorry, Mark. Uh, I just I just don't think that, that Wyndham Earl is going to play that much of a role. No. But I did hear one theory that was going around on Twitter, maybe, I think it was earlier this weekend, that, um, that possibly... Because Bob took Wyndham Earl's soul, and then Bob is in mm. Cooper, in Bad Cooper, Doppel Cooper, that maybe Doppel Cooper now, when Bob is with him, he has access to Wyndham Earl's memories or knowledge yeah. or whatever. Because there's that there's that moment where he brings out the computer briefcase, and it's exactly the same kind Seems, that yeah. Wyndham Earl used. Yeah. So, um, so there are links to that. I'm not sure that Wyndham Earl is behind it. I love the theory that, that Jeffries is, or maybe Jeffries doppelganger or something, that something is going on with Jeffries because clearly, and there was a Reddit meta thread that, that I'll post on the SoundCloud page that I think um, really kind of lays out why Jeffries could be the, uh, the guy behind all of that las vegas stuff okay that would be, i haven't read that so yeah that, that it could was be interesting. really interesting okay. so I'll, okay. I'll put that on the landing page for the soundcloud on the soundcloud link excellent third question who left the diary pages in the mm, bathroom door? who indeed again we're assuming the diary pages john says i think it's definitely not the log lady or any one of the human characters we know either it was the tremons who i think hooked on up with the missing pages in the original series very important or this is one of the things annie did before she disappeared for whatever reason that would be a great reason to bring her back into the fold. And again, John asked, where where you at on this one? We don't think Annie. No, I, think we I kind I, of agreed. Yeah, we're we're kind of traditionalists. We were thinking Mike uh, slash well, Gerard. Well, just because of his link with the bathrooms, I think that's where a lot of people are going. I think Major Briggs, Major Briggs is a is, huge. Possibility. I think that's the most obvious one. I think yeah. he's he has access to all sorts of files. I think um, he could have found something that was missing uh, after. The coo- after Cooper went yep. into the Red Room. Um, and it, he has a good reason to hide them yep. if he knows that Cooper's been taken away. Yeah, he wouldn't have put them in the dossier because that's something that could have been found by, by Cooper. But putting them in the bathroom of the Sheriff's Department is probably the last place that yeah. that Cooper is going to... He's not going to be able to access it easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there, there are some theories, who th- people who think that it could be Doppelkoop who put them in there. I think that's probably the least likely option. Yeah, because he would just, just, he would just destroy them, them I think, think, at that, yeah. at that point. He doesn't point. have much motive but, to keep them um, around. But yeah. So my money's on, on Major Briggs. I think it, it ties in really nicely with the ring that we found, or that Constance hilariously found in the body um, that was in Ruth Davenport's bed, because um, one of the best theories I've heard for that is that Major Briggs swallowed the ring that he had Dougie's ring and he swallowed it as a way to give the clue that mm-hmm. this is where they should look yeah. so that's that's a possibility as well yeah well, I mean again if Major Briggs just died 
shortly before the series opening yeah. here, uh, what was he doing these last 25 right. years? You know, everyone thought he was dead, so he was he was working on something. Was he just following Cooper? Um, was he trying to figure out the the black and white lodges? Was yeah. he trying to become some sort of magician himself? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really tough to tell um, and a source of much mystery. So yeah, it'll be worth watching in the future for that. Absolutely. Uh, any final thoughts, parting words? Uh, I did love this episode. You did, yeah. You need, and talking about it more, there's there's more to love. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's done some interesting things with the characters. Yeah, again, it moved the plot along a lot. I found, mm-hmm. uh, and for again for, and I think feel like maybe last week I was a little harsh because I was used to the four hour increment yes. that we got, and then the first single hour is like, oh, this is not enough. Yeah, um, but this one felt right this yeah. felt like a full hour that I, I i could really sink my teeth into yeah. still and we've talked for over an hour and a half now so mm-hmm. i think that's held out what about you i think that we're heading towards something big i think mm-hmm. we've got uh part seven and part eight and then there's a break of yeah. a week for the um july long weekend so i think we're going to see either in part seven because david lynch loves the number seven that we might see something big maybe we're going to get cooper snapping back to reality at some point mm-hmm. um or part eight just because then we're left with the cliffhanger for before the break but i think we're heading towards something big a lot of people have pointed out this is one third of the way officially mm-hmm. through this series uh we're done the first act let's say yeah. so things are being set up but they haven't been explored completely so i, I do think if i'm going to put a prediction out there is that things are going to start to pick up in a lot of these storylines um i'm hoping we're going to get some more from the hastings family what's what's going on with mm. with bill and we get some some answers from the body that was in ruth davenport's bed and maybe figure out a little bit more about what phyllis and ruth why they were shot through the eye what that means um, one well, of the more popular theories is that they were spirits that maybe um, yeah, Doppelkoop is going around trying to round up and kill off all the inhabiting spirits that were above the convenience store, yeah. um, which may very well prove to be, uh, and I think that would be a really interesting thing to see. So, yeah. um, But obviously we have no idea what's coming up. Well, and and it's and foolish to try and predict. No, exactly. But. Yeah, that's that's the hard part. I mean, uh, there's still so many characters we haven't met. Yeah, exactly. Audrey is nowhere to be seen. I know. Diane, we've got one line, and yep. it seems like she's going to play a major yep. part. Um, Big Ed know, hasn't shown up. Big Ed yeah. hasn't shown up. There, you know, what is Tammy doing yeah. with the fingerprints and everything? Yeah. All these things feel like, yes, they're, they're now reaching the point where things are going to start happening. Yeah. Uh, quickly and it'll be fun to watch absolutely if you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation you can like us on facebook at facebook.com slash bickering peaks all one word you can also follow us on twitter that's at bickering peaks or you can head over to itunes and leave us a review or comment we'd love to hear from you